Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we are going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine. We'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. In our Top Tips segment, we're going to chat with Grace Dobush about her article, Preservation Rx, all about heirloom preservation, which appears in the December 2009 issue of the magazine. And then we're going to talk with Ilya Dedezio of the Live Roots website, which is on the 101 best websites for tracing your roots list. In the Library Spotlight segment, we're going to be exploring the Kenton County, Kentucky Public Library. And in the Best of Family Tree Magazine segment, Diane Haddad will be back to share some ideas for family history gifts that you can make from her article, Giving Trees, from the December 2006 issue of the magazine. Well, there is a lot to cover, so let's get started. Our first stop is the Editor's Desk with Allison Stacy. Well, it's time once again to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, it's Christmas time, and it's the end of the year, and some of us are scrambling for some last-minute gift ideas. You got something for us? I do. Two products that I think would make really great gifts this holiday season for genealogists and non-genealogists alike. The first is a really nice stocking stuffer. It's our 2010 genealogy desk calendar. This is the first time we've ever produced one. And um, what kind of makes it special is it contains really gorgeous historical photos that come from directly from our readers. So it's our readers' own families that are actually featured on each page of the calendar. That's so neat. In fact, I was on Facebook the other day and somebody was saying, oh my gosh, my picture got, you know, selected for the calendar. And I thought that is such a neat idea because, you know, all of us have that one really terrific photo and what a wonderful way to share them. Yeah, it, um, people had submitted hundreds and hundreds of photos for our cover contest um, with the January 2010 anniversary issue, our 10th anniversary, and we were just so awed by all of the photos. We thought, well, what's another way that we could make use of some of these and share them with um, other readers? And so our designer, Christy, came up with the calendar idea, and it was really great timing. Um, the calendar is nice because it's not a wall calendar, but instead it's a desk calendar that sits in a case that's like a CD case and each page is a a different month and so you've got the reader photo on the front along with the calendar and a different genealogy tip to keep your research on track and then on the back we tell the story behind each of the photos which there's some really interesting ones in there Um, and then there's a coupon for um, a discount off products in our shop. Oh how fun so we're going to get to read the story about the photo that we're looking at and of course maybe do a little bit of saving as well. Yes. Sounds like the perfect stocking stuffer. Definitely. And I know that you've got one other gift in mind that I think every family could use. Tell us about that. Yeah, this one's really close to me, actually, as a matter of fact. Um, it's a book that Diane Haddad and I wrote called Family Tree Legacies, and it's a keepsake 
album for recording family history. So something that really any family can use, regardless of whether you're deep into genealogy or not. I think it's a great gift for genealogists who are very passionate about family history to give to their other relatives who maybe aren't so involved because it's a way to convey information and gather information without making it seem intimidating or too hardcore genealogy for people who really aren't that involved. Exactly. It's a beautiful book and it, you know, so it's very appealing and and I was thinking that would be kind of fun to bring to the holidays where everybody's gathering around the table and then relaxing on the couch, you know, after dinner and you could pull out your legacies book and maybe ask some questions and, and gather some of that data right then. Yeah, that's a really great idea. What's nice about the book is it's in a three ring binder format. So um, the pages can be, the, the binder can be opened up, the pages can be taken out. So you could pass them out for people to write down their recollections while you're sitting around the table or in the living room. Um, and then, you know, For families where maybe you have more information to record than what is included in the book, there is a bonus CD where you can print out the extra pages, and because of the three-ring binder format, you can hole punch them and stick them right in the book, so you don't have to skip a beat. See, I think that's brilliant because I was thinking, oh, great, you could add, you know, some additional pages of your own and that kind of thing. But you actually give them the pages. So it's really going to look seamless. It's going to look like it all goes together. Not that you, you know, tucked in some some raw notes. Right, exactly. Um, The paper is a very heavy duty kind of cardstock. So if you just used cardstock that you get from an office supply store and with your inkjet printer print on the front and the back, you'd have um, pretty much an exact replica of what we have in there already. And even if you didn't have time during the holidays, you could give that to the family historian in your family, and maybe they can uh, bring it to the next family reunion in the following summer or something. There's always those opportunities where we get together and you think, ah, I wish I had a chance, you know, something to record what I'm hearing. So definitely what a a wonderful book. Yeah, we've split it up um, too into different kinds of areas of family history. So there's a section for military um, Service. There's a section for newspaper clippings. There's a section for photographs, something for recipes, something for places that your family's lived. So um, we try to break it down. That was really important to Diane and me to make it in manageable chunks so that it's not this huge intimidating volume where you feel like you have to record everything ever known to man about your family. You know, we've, <laughs> we've tried to make it a, a little bit easier and more approachable. That's wonderful. So maybe we can entice the non-genealogist in our family to, to get involved as well. How in the world do you and Diane find the time to do these things? I mean, the book is beautiful, and yet you're putting out this wonderful <laughs> magazine every month. I don't know how you do it. Well, we sure keep busy. <laughs> you do. Well, I'm really glad that you took some time out to talk with us today on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lisa. for some news from the blogosphere with genealogy insider and managing editor Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Uh, So what's new in the blogosphere? Uh, You've had some interesting posts lately, and I know you've got something up your sleeve. What's going on? I do have a little something up my sleeve. We are looking for um, readers and uh, newsletter readers and blog readers who would like to share their photos of funny tombstones that they found as they're searching for their ancestors' grave sites and cemeteries. Genealogists love cemeteries, and um, sometimes non-genealogists might think it's a little strange, but there is there can be humor found in cemeteries, and we are actually... Um, 
planning on putting together a book of these funny tombstone photos. And so we're looking for readers to submit their pictures and also to write funny captions for other people's pictures. And they can win Amazon.com gift cards by doing this. Oh, how fun. So even if we don't find a funny tombstone ourselves, we can go and look at the pictures and maybe uh, come up with a couple of knee-slapping quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fun. Great. So again, tell us, you said that it's on Flickr. How do we go about uh, getting in there and participating? If you go to Flickr.com, that's F-L-I-C-K-R.com slash groups slash funny hyphen gravestone hyphen photos. Um, That's the website, or you can go to our blog and link to this website, and you'll see, you can just click on the pictures of the different gravestones and look at them and have your laugh and write funny captions. And you also there can get details on how to submit photos either through Flickr or if people are not members of Flickr, they can email them to us. And so all that information is there on that website. Now, in in your touring of cemeteries, have you come across some interesting or funny tombstones? Not in person, but we've gotten some pretty funny photos from people. There's one of them on the blog from a guy who he said he never voted for Republicans and had little to do with them. (laughs) So that one is on the blog. Um, People, they just want to make a final statement sometimes. I think everyone's probably seen the gravestone that says, I told you I was sick. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So, and we put some examples up there on the Flickr site already. So just definitely go look for those. They're... Our tombstones are our final chance to make our final statement to the right. world forever, you right? You get the last word. <laughs> to get the last word, exactly. So, uh, okay, so we have our assignment between now and March 31st, which is the deadline of this. When we're out touring the cemeteries, we have two jobs, not only to look for our own ancestors, but to look for these humorous and quirky tombstone inscriptions. Yes. And um, again, you can go to Flickr to the group that she talked about here, or we've got a link for you in the show notes for this episode that you can just click right through, submit your pictures, and take a look at some of the ones they've already come up with and Write some of your own captions or uh, make comments. That would be really fun. And, and then again, when is the book you're expecting to come out? This book will be out next fall. Oh, fun. So once we receive all those photos and we'll put them all together, and, and I'm excited to see what we get. Cool. All right. Well, we've got a good job ahead of us. <laughs> Thanks so much, Diane. You're welcome. If you're fortunate enough to have a precious family heirloom in your possession, then this top tip segment is for you. Grace Dobush, Associate Editor of Family Tree Magazine and author of the article Preservation Rx, which is featured in the December 2009 issue of the magazine, is here to tell us how to keep our clan's keepsakes healthy for future generations to come. Welcome to the show, Grace. Hi, Lisa. You know, in this article, you offer prescriptions for caring for 10 of the most common kinds of family heirlooms. What would you say is the most common heirloom that we might find around our house that we should be looking for? The most common heirlooms are definitely paper items, um, whether they're letters or birth certificates or newspaper clippings. Those, those Those are the types of heirlooms that most everybody has. You're absolutely right. And there's always debate about how do we take care of them? What do you suggest? 
The the most important thing I think is to avoid anything that will permanently harm the paper, um, such as lamination. Lamination is a um, mortal sin in my book. Absolutely. And that was something we all did when it first came out, right? <laughs> right, because everyone thought, oh, it keeps it clean, it protects the paper. But we discovered later that the material used, um, the plastics and adhesives, actually destroy the paper. Right. And, you know, you made a good point in, in the article. You said, you know, newspapers weren't made to last. So I'm guessing not only should we be caring for the item itself, but like in the case of paper, digitizing them, right? Absolutely. Um, Making photocopies onto acid-free paper is another good route um, to preserve the information in newspaper clippings. Um, But transcribing it digitally also is a great way to save the information and distribute it really easily. It's a terrific article, and there's all these little boxes of special tips and ideas, and one of them contained a story about Kathy Whitman's amazing quilt that she found, and you talk about quilt preservation. Tell us a little bit about that story. That was the... Just the cutest story. Um, She had been at an auction um, in Ohio and found these quilts that she just thought were interesting, and then um, her husband pointed out that some of the names were the same types of names that were in her own family. And it turned out that it was the quilts were um, a church fundraiser and uh, the the parishioners paid a few cents or a dollar to um, have their names stitched onto these quilts. And it included quite a few of her relatives. That is so amazing. I, I, you I never just, know. <laughs> I believe it when I read it, and it's a beautiful quilt. It's kind of a red work quilt. I, many of us, I know I have a couple of quilts that I've inherited. Um, what do you recommend for the care and preservation of those? Quilts have to be treated kind of carefully because fabric is pretty sensitive to changes in climate and um, temperature and humidity. And the most important thing, I think, is to keep the quilts away from um, things that can harm them, such as untreated wood. Um, so if you have like a chest that you keep quilts in, it's it's a really good idea to make sure that those are sealed with polyethylene or um, wrap your quilts in unbleached clean linen or um, cotton, which will help protect the fabric quite a bit. And you also want to keep your quilts out of plastic tubs. Those are great for storage and they're really handy, but as the tubs age, they can start leaching chemicals, which is a death sentence for fabric. A lot of times we think, oh, well, that'll keep them safe from any kind of moisture, you know, but but like you say, long term, that isn't a great plan. (laughs) Yeah. And plastic too can end up trapping moisture sometimes. So the the best option is really the best option is actually to um, kind of display your quilt by laying it out on an unused bed, say in a guest room where there's not any direct light shining on the bed and um, there aren't any animals that can, you know, make their home on the bed. Uh (laughs) You don't want to use your heirloom quilt for Fido's kind of sleeping place, but keeping it laid out flat on a bed is actually a great way to keep an heirloom quilt because it lets you enjoy it. It lets you see it, but being able to lay it flat keeps the fibers from stretching out. If you keep a quilt folded for a long time, you can end up with permanent creases or even tears in the fabric. Exactly. Those fold marks can start to become permanent. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm curious, Grace, how did you get interested in um, heirloom preservation? And, and maybe, do you have a, a favorite heirloom that you have passed down in your family? 
You know what? Because my um, my parents and grandparents are, are still around, I don't have any of the family heirlooms myself. But I started getting interested in heirloom preservation when I started writing um, Family Trees Preserving Memories column. Actually, before I started working for the magazine, I, I started writing the column freelance for Family Tree. And um, from there, I just was um, writing little bits about preservation for every issue and just ended up learning a lot about heirlooms. And uh, that really helped me put together this article and make it as comprehensive as possible. Well, and comprehensive it is. There's a lot of great tips. Um, she talks about 10 key areas. I know I, I have several of the different areas that she was talking about in the magazine and some good tips and just reminders to do no harm to our heirlooms. And you make a really good point at the end of the article, and that is that not only do we have heirlooms passed down to us, but really the heirlooms of the future may be in our possession right now and that we ought to be thinking about how we handle those things. Uh, you mentioned the Mork and Mindy lunchbox. <laughs> we all have one or two things that we have our eye on to pass on, and, and it's a good idea to start thinking about those care issues today. Absolutely. It's better to start early than start too late. Well, if you would like to pick up all of Grace's terrific tips here for preservation of your family heirlooms, pick up the December 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine, and you'll find it there. It's called Preservation Rx. Grace, thanks so much for joining us on the show. No, thanks, Lisa. In this episode's Library Spotlight segment, we are going to be heading to Kentucky to shine the spotlight on the Kenton County Public Library. And joining me is Elaine Kuhn, Kentucky History Services Coordinator at the library. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Hi, Lisa. Good to talk to you. Great talking to you, too. You know, I know that librarians around the country that we surveyed here at the magazine, asking them about their favorite libraries, boy, they sure gave Kenton County Public Library very high marks. So tell us, what do you think caught their eye about your library? Well, first of all, we're honored to be considered like that. And um, I would say probably some of the items that we have in our collection that draw people's interest are our databases that are available online, particularly we have our Northern Kentucky Newspaper Index. It's a work in progress, but it indexes um, papers from Covington and Newport and some smaller publications starting in the mid-1800s. And our index, save for a few years that we're working on, um, goes up to present day. That sounds terrific because as genealogists, the newspapers can be difficult to find, and it's always exciting to hear when digitization is happening. And we do have quite a few of our older newspapers digitized, so people can actually look at the newspapers online. And for the most part, those um, scanned papers go up to about the 1890s, and we're currently working on scanning more newspapers so that people can actually look at them without having to come to the library. Terrific. Uh, what else do you have there that might um, spark the interest of the genealogist? Well, we also have a fairly large um, photograph database that's available for searching and viewing online. It's called Faces and Places, and we just topped the 60,000 photograph mark. And it's a combination of things that have been donated to the library or people have loaned them to us photos that we can scan and add to the collection. And most importantly, um, when the Kentucky Post newspaper ceased publication at the end of 2007, they gave us a good chunk of their photograph archives. So we're still in the process of scanning those photographs and adding them to the collection. 
Well, that sounds fantastic. So people really can look at them online. If they see something that they are interested in, how might they gain access to it? They can contact us, um, and we have on our website um, a form that they can um, print off and send in. They can ask for actual reprints, or we can scan. If we have the original photographs, we can scan them, copies, and put them on a CD. Now, you mentioned the website, and obviously these um, digitized records and photographs and things are, are on your website. Tell us about the website and you know, what we need to know to make the most out of using it. Well, the address is www.kentonlibrary, all one word, .org. We'll take you to the library's website, the general one. And then from there, you can select um, Genealogy and Kentucky History. And once you're at that part of our website, it tells you quite a bit about our collection, what some of the major collections we have um, in, you know, like a microfilm. We also, there are links to our free databases, um, a couple of them we already mentioned. We also even um, have our, what um, hours we will have people at our reference desk. So if people want to plan for a time that there'll be somebody there to help them, um, they can check that. And we also have request forms there for, like I said, um, to have photos um, reproduced, or if someone needs research done, they can fill in the form. And there's information about fees and such as well. Now, I know a lot of the librarians that I've spoken to around the country have mentioned that people are often surprised that their library um, isn't just about the local history or local collections, but oftentimes have some gems in there that are from around the country. What might we be surprised to find at your library? Oh, let's see. Um, it's true that our collection is very deep in northern Kentucky history. Um, occasionally, though, we will get, because someone will give us a collection of family information, we'll get photographs from uh, amazing places. Um, we recently inherited photographs from a family that traveled extensively in the 1920s, and I mean through Europe, Egypt, and so forth. And so we've got some amazing photographs there. And we also have... Oh, a few diaries that we've um, scanned and put online. Again, mostly from people in this area, but people who traveled quite a bit. Um, so, you know, you can oftentimes find information about that here. You bet. Now, I know that lots of folks will be coming and visiting you online, but if they wanted to come in person, uh, where would they find you? We are located um, in the Marianne Mungan branch in Covington, Kentucky at 502 Scott Street. We've got free parking on the south side of the library, and we're open seven days a week. And if they, if folks want to call us um, for more information, they can call our desk at 859-962-4070. Like all libraries, I always tell people, bring dimes. <laughs> if they want to make photocopies, uh, bring your jump drive, because we've got some computers dedicated to genealogy research. So, But, yep, we're, we're pretty much on the main drag in downtown Covington, Kentucky. Well, I know it's so hard to touch on uh, the large collections at, at a library in just a few minutes, but I think you've given us a wonderful taste of what you have there. It's really exciting to know that there's so much online that we can get involved with, even if we can't yet make the trip out there in person. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. And again, we should send our listeners to kentonlibrary.org. Thanks so much, Elaine. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it.
When it comes to researching online for genealogical records, there are lots of options. And in today's 101 Best Website segment, we're going to take a closer look at one of them, and that's the Live Roots website. And I'm talking with its creator, Ilya Dedesio. Welcome to the show, Ilya. Good morning, Lisa. I know that uh, lots of folks out there are using Live Roots. We want to make sure that uh, everybody listening uh, is familiar with it. Give us the basics. What is Live Roots? Well, I'm calling it a search experience because there really isn't a website that I can compare it to that people would understand. Uh, it really focuses a lot on the search process, but it's, it's designed to help you locate resources regardless of where they are, uh, whether they're online or offline, microfilm, uh, books, uh, online databases, all in one place. Uh, so you can see where the overlap is between all these sites that are putting out information. Boy, it's nice to know that there's somebody out there doing that because it, it can get kind of overwhelming to go into Google and just put in keywords and, and hope for the best. Now, I know on your site, as you're pulling together these resources, you're actually, um, you've got people who are providing information about the kinds of materials that they have. Is that right, that people list the materials they might have available for folks? Uh, individuals as well can post resources, but most of it is coming from uh, all the large companies that we're familiar with, along with many medium-sized publishers, a lot of small publishers, and a lot of uh, book projects, including some university projects. Oh, that's great. And I know also that many of us, when we're researching, we're thinking geographically. And you have a, a mechanism for being able just to start with looking for a location. Tell us how that works. Yeah, when I was building the search, uh, you know, I realized it was going to be difficult for people to search for places that are very common, like all of the Johnson counties in the country. So with the Navigate feature, you can actually go from continent to continent and drill down, down to the country level, down to the state level, down to the county level. And for most of the United States, you can even drill down to the, to the city level and see what resources are available for that city. I was looking across the top of your menu bar, and you've got search and discover and to navigate. But we can also manage the research that we're doing. Tell us how that works. Sure. Um, well, I see there's sort of a gap in, in what we have in terms of the tools available to genealogists to sort of keep track of the research process itself, not the data we find, but the resources that we find that are most useful. Uh, many times people will come to me and say, oh, I, I was doing some research online and I used your website and I found this resource that was really great and now I don't know how to get back there. So these managed tools so sort of let you keep track of where you're going, where you've been, and all the little bits and pieces of clues that you pick up along the way, all those little post-it notes that we're writing. You can put that all into this project area. And one of the things that's really neat about that is that stuff will also be included when you do a search on Live Roots. So it'll go down as it's searching the Live Roots database. It'll also go down there and check your project area if there's anything matching your search. Oh, that's great. Gosh, everybody can identify with um, getting a little bit lost when we're out there and trying to locate things and get back to them. And we can do this on Live Roots. We can sign up for it, but there's no cost in doing that. Is that correct? Nope, there's a free membership, and, and you don't even need a membership just to use this, the website. But for those managed tools, you would, you would want to sign up and create an account so everything can be organized under your account. There's also a premium option on Live Roots, which gives you access to all the subscription data that I've been creating over the years through the Genealogy Today project. Oh, that's great. And, and yeah, many people are familiar with Genealogy Today. Um, you've been doing that for quite a while. When did you launch Live Roots? Uh, it uh, launched in October 2008 and took a couple of years to put together to work with all the different companies to sort of align all of their catalogs into one, one big pot. 
Wow, it's a big job. It keeps you pretty busy, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And there are things coming in every day. Live Roots is updated every morning uh, with all the databases that were loaded overnight by the different companies. Fantastic. Okay, well, give us the website address. How do we find Live Roots? LiveRoots.com, or if you're a Facebook person, you can get a full version of Live Roots as an application. Oh, easy enough. Terrific. Ilya, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. It's my pleasure. Well, it's that time of year when you're looking for those perfect gifts for your relatives. And what could be more perfect than the gift of family history? Well, I've asked Diane Haddad back for this Best of Family Tree magazine segment to share some ideas with us for family history gifts that you can make from her article called Giving Trees, which appeared in the December 2006 issue of the magazine. Welcome back, Diane. Thank you. Okay, I just have to admit it. This was one of my favorite articles in the last couple of years. I'm kind of a closet crafter. I I don't know. Uh I I hate to put it out there because then people expect a lot of what you produce, but (laughs) I sure enjoy it. And you had some really clever ideas in this article. Well, that was a fun article to work on, um, partly because we all stayed after work one evening. It was actually it was in the summertime when we were working on that article, and we made the things, the pictures um, that are in that magazine article. Those are all things that we actually created here in the office. Oh my gosh, I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, and not that hard either. You don't have to be a super crafty person to do a lot of those things. Well, exactly. And I loved it because you even marked, you know, what's the skill level for this one and how much you think it's going to cost. So you could kind of pick and choose what would work for you. That must be pretty interesting. You guys work awfully far in advance. So here you are doing Christmas gifts in summer. Yes, Christmas in July. I know here that you mentioned, well, you've got the little the little tree. Of course, the, the article is entitled Giving Trees. But I thought that was a clever idea to have a little potted tree that you could give somebody and maybe tuck in some family history there. Right, and I think the neat thing about that is that if there's a plant that um, it's called a memory plant, something that your your mom's favorite flower, for example, or a plant from grandma's garden, I have some lamb's ear from my grandma's garden, and giving that along with a little gift tag that tells the story behind the plant. It's a nice gift, it's easy to put together, and it's very thoughtful. That's neat. And and I love here, wear your heritage on your sleeve. Now, this one is good. If you're listening to this little segment here and you're thinking, oh, I'm not crafty. That's not up my alley. Well, this one was super quick and didn't require a lot of skill level and was uh, pretty economical. But it's getting those old photos onto a T-shirt. Yes, you can take a really neat photo. I think the one in the article was um, two guys and they're holding up an alligator or something like that. (laughs) So just a cool family photo. And they sell at craft stores um, iron-on transfer paper. So you can print out a picture on your computer, color or black and white, and you can iron it onto a T-shirt just by following the instructions that come with the paper. The, the transfer paper is so easy to use. And like you say, you can just iron it right on, which is which is great. But I have to say, I think my favorite one was the cook-up. Now, you know, this little uh, recipe box that you show in the picture, I have picked up, you know, some of those at garage sales for a dollar. And I know sometimes the craft stores have unfinished wood, you know, versions of the, that little box. 
And what a terrific gift, particularly to give maybe to our kids with the old family recipes in it. But you added that special touch of the family photo on the top. Right. And that wasn't hard to do. We just used just some cardstock. You want some good thick paper and printed out the picture, cut out that oval and then um, glued it on. And then you varnish um, over it just to protect that a little bit. Well, I think it's a terrific gift because um, not only is it something, you know, made from the heart, but it's something that that our descendants can use for years to come and uh, share that family history. It's so important, I think, that, you know, we work so hard on our genealogy, but it's it's gifts like these that Mm -hmm. might inspire the next generation who right now doesn't seem all that interested, but maybe to get interested so they'll take care of our research when we're long gone, right? Right, and helping people appreciate their family history and learn that it's not just about names and dates, but the people behind those names and dates. So you kind of introduce your family to their ancestors a little bit in a really neat way. Exactly. Well, a really neat article. You're, you guys are going to want to check this one out. It's called Giving Trees. It's from the December 2006 issue of the magazine, which, of course, is available as a compilation CD. The whole 2006 year of magazine issues, um, it's a terrific CD. And this article is worth it because there's some really neat ideas in here. And it's not too late. We have a little bit of time. We could still put some of these together, right? You do. Yes. And they don't all take a long time. And, and as I said, they don't take a lot of skill either. Wonderful. Perfect for us. All right. Thanks so much, Diane. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me for the December 2009 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the podcast from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You can find it at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we've talked about on today's episode, including how to order the December 2006 back issue, which includes Diane Haddad's article called Giving Trees. Then take a few minutes to explore the collection of the Kenton County, Kentucky Public Library. You'll find them at kentonlibrary.org. And don't miss their wonderful photograph collection. And finally, stop by LiveRoots.com to search for those genealogical records that you've been looking for. If you have any questions or comments, I do hope that you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. From everyone here at the Family Tree Magazine family, I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and great success in growing your family tree in the new year. 